Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Podcast, where we interview experienced HR leaders and executives to define what the most effective leaders are made of and how to help underperforming leaders transform into the best they can be. Brought to you by Lumen Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spencer Taylor. I'm very blessed today to have Troy Scott as the guest on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Show. He is the Senior Vice President at Zions Bank. Um, and I'd love to just start there, Troy, just of, of uh, well, who you are, I guess I should start more broadly. Love to hear about your family, uh, anything about you as a person, and then, of course, the career side, too, just to have a little bit of an intro, and then we'll get into talking more about the leadership side of things. Great. Yeah. So I'll, I'll you know, just kind of kick it off with my personal side. Uh, I think that's probably a little bit I don't know if it's more interesting, but for me, it's more important, I guess, than my career side. Uh, so I am currently uh, married, going on 20 years with my wife. Um, we have three children. We reside in Riverton, Utah right now. Uh, my son is 17. He uh, goes to high school at Mountain Ridge High School and plays on the basketball team there. Um, and I'm going to throw this out because he gets mad, but he <clears throat> he's a he's a cumulative 4.0 student. I, I love saying that because not many kids can say that. So I'm really, really proud of him. Then uh, I have a uh, 13-year-old daughter who's an avid gym, gymnastics and, and does all the crazy stuff, the bars, the ball, you name it. She does that. So she's pretty heavily involved there. And she's a really straight-A student as well. Uh, she's in seventh grade. And then I have my youngest daughter, Gentry, uh, who is in fourth grade. She's nine years old. And she's our little dancer, uh, sort of gymnast as well. And she's just our social butterfly. From a career perspective, I think it kind of goes kind of intertwines with personal as well. Um, I've been in Utah, you know, grew, born and raised here, uh, grew up in Sandy, Utah, uh, went to Skyline High School, uh, played sports there, did all that fun stuff, um, and then ended up uh, go, serving an LDS mission in Korea, South Korea. Um, and then after I returned from that, uh, attended the University of Utah, got my my degree there. Uh, then soon thereafter, started working for Goldman Sachs in Salt Lake for a brief stint. And then I moved, they asked us to move out to New York City. So my family and I, uh, it was just my wife and I, and then my little boy was born and he was, I think, two, maybe. We ended up moving out to uh, New York City, uh, lived in the city for a couple of years, um, actually New York City and Jersey. Spent a total of five years with Goldman Sachs, uh, working as an analyst in their derivatives department. Um, crazy hours, as you can imagine, every, all the horror stories and great stories you hear are all true. Um, I could tell you a lot of stories about that. You know, while working there, an opportunity arose with a friend of mine um, who is in what we call treasury management. And he was working for Citigroup or Citibank at the time and kind of approached me with an opportunity. I had shared interest and kind of I, I, I saw what he did and I was kind of uh, a little jealous. I was working lots of hours at Goldman and he was working less hours and, and uh, doing pretty well. And uh, I, I kind of picked his brain on some different things and he introduced me to his boss and, and uh, actually got a quick interview and was hired pretty much on the spot. But uh, the reason I say that is because this was in September of whatever year. And um, I said, well, I can't start till after January because I need my bonus, you know, from Goldman because that's where you get your, your pay from. And, and she said, that's fine. Start in January. So I did that. Um, and that kind of introduced me to my future career from then on till now um, is kind of what I've been doing in treasury management. But I spent about two years at City in New York, um, uh, Citigroup in New York, Citibank, and kind of got introduced to the the group I'm 
kind of been part of for for the rest of my career so far. And um, it's my passion. It's my love. It's it's everything. Um, you know, one of the things that was interesting is living in the city, uh, you know, in a 900 square foot apartment, paying a fortune for your rent. Uh, second child on the way, my daughter, we started kind of making some uh, plans. Do we want to move out into the you know, the neighborhoods kind of get a house or do we want to stay in the apartment? And the, the you know, coming from Salt Lake where I grew up and raised, born and raised in a home, the apartment living wasn't hap- happening and it wasn't uh, something I wanted to do much longer. So we started looking and, and anything I could afford was like an hour and a half commute. So we started looking back West in Salt Lake and different areas. And uh, we ended up moving back here uh, to Salt Lake and I joined KeyBank um, and, and uh, started as a sales uh, sales officer for for treasury management at KeyBank and their commercial bank. Um, and from there, um, you know, I spent almost ten years with KeyBank, and and part of that was a journey of selling and then moving into a um, management role. Uh, part of that was because I ended up going back to school um, and getting my master's degree in business and at the University of Utah. And then really wanted to get into leadership. And so I spent, you know, a good, you know, five years plus in leadership with Key, managing a national sales team and a regional team and uh, learning a lot through that process. And then almost 10 years into it, um, an opportunity came up at Zions Bank, where I've been for almost four years now. And I am the director of uh, treasury management for Zions at this point. So uh, shifting gears a bit then, as you're aware, this is really a conversation about uh, leadership. I, I did want to touch on one other thing. Um, you mentioned that I think it was with KeyBank. You said you you kind of moved into your first like senior leadership type role mm-hmm. for about five years with them. How was that transition for you? Again, I'm going a little off script here. No, I, I love I love that question. I think it's a really valid question. Um, th- there, I think my journey was unique in that I prepared myself for a couple of years for it. Um, you know, I I I put my hand in the air and and. And this is what I would encourage anybody to do that wants to get into leadership is, is don't just jump into it. You got to prepare your, you got to create a path, right? So you got to be doing the things that a leader would do, you know, so when the opportunity comes up, you're already kind of doing them. And that's kind of what my process was. I, I was part of a leadership development group. Uh, one of, I think, four people in the bank in treasury management throughout the country that, that was part of a leadership development group for about two years. So we had interactive with the executives. We had interactions with, um, you know, other things, we come in quarterly and do trainings for a couple of days. So when the time came, it was really interesting. Um, when I graduated from my MBA program, uh, the, the two week trip you take overseas, we went to Europe. I came back on the day I got back to work. My boss, the regional uh, manager resigned and he told mm-hmm. me, you know, so it was kind of a weird, unique situation where it was like, it was like, okay, now you're up, you know, kind of thing. And so I had an interview and I got the job, obviously, but I, I had prepared myself. So I think my transition wasn't necessarily tough. I, I had a lot of lessons learned. I, I saw things I didn't like in my career and things I liked and things I would do different. So I, I kind of was mentally prepared for it. But what I wasn't prefer- prepared for, and I think everybody probably struggles with this, um, is how to talk to the executives when you're in a strategy meeting or uh, decision-making meetings. You know, at what level do you contribute? What should you say? What shouldn't you say? Those are the things I've had to learn. Although that's interesting. Well, so now you're kind of on the other end of the spectrum a little bit. So how do you how do you want younger leaders to interact in those meetings or, or how do you expect them to contribute? That's a really good question. And and I think maybe my mindset's different. I'm not, you know, I'm in my 40s, you know, early 40s. And I think, you know, they're, they're and I don't want to create this like older generation versus younger generation. But my my mentality is 
um, my mindsets are really around transparency, really around communication. So my feeling is if you're going to be in a meeting, you should participate. Um, and so I want to hear all the angles. I want to hear all the feedback. I, you know, I have a team of um, 10 people, uh, five are sales managers that are regional, uh, three are, uh, you know, support managers. And, you know, you ask any of them and our meetings are really about conversation. It's about brainstorming. And then at the end of the day, I've got to make the decision based on the information I gather. So my preference is to to have that open-ended dialogue where anything goes. I mean, there are some times when, you know, people are a little off base and that's when you, you don't, not during the meeting, but after meeting, you, you coach them and you say, hey, listen, you know, in the meeting, you know, you probably need to take a different approach here because it came off this way. Now, just think about it differently. And, and instead of nailing them in the meeting, that's not appropriate. But, um, you know, just really controlling the meeting. But really, my opinion is the more opinions, the more thought, uh, get out of group think, just just kind of really want people to share their thoughts. Because many times the boots on the ground, you know, bottom up, if you will, is critical to decision making. You know, I don't have all the answers. I've I've been in, you know, I haven't been on the front lines technically selling to clients for years. I've been out there meeting them, but I'm not in the deal all the time. So that's important for me to to hear what they have to say. Well, I love that. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a, a Harvard Business article uh, that talked about. I think it was called like the CEO bubble or the executive bubble, something like that. But just this principle that you just highlighted for us that as a senior leader, especially once you get to that executive level and above, you really are kind of in this bubble in the sense that you're not always aware of what's going on on the street, so to speak. So you've got to be pretty deliberate in making that connection. And it actually, I think it somewhat ties into your comment about how to interact in meetings too, because sometimes as the junior, you're, you're now your junior leaders, they may feel reticent to bring up an issue that they think needs to be discussed. And that might actually exacerbate the problem, so to speak, because then it prevents you from becoming aware of those issues. Does that make sense? Like it's, it can, oh, it you, can you, you're, you're spot on. Like, you know, I, I've lived this many, many times over and over where you have one side of the coin and the other side of the coin. What's important, you know, is to set a culture like within my team. If you brought them on right now, I think they, I, I feel pretty confident they'd say, there's there's no restrictions on what can be talked about. You know, people feel comfortable because you have to create a culture and it takes a bit. It's taken me, you know, this team I have formed right now has been together for a little, you know, probably a little over a year, you know, the group that's in it now. And I, I think it took several months and, and some people may not even feel 100% confident that what they say is okay at this point. But I'd say for the most part, um, it feels like a family because my number one goal in my team is to create a high performing team and in order to have a high performing team you got to have a family and in order to have a family it's got to be good communication and so in order to have you know it's it's this building bricks and so as i build my bricks and build my house um people feel comfortable um to 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 be able to share their experiences and you know we've solved problems because of that you know and i've been able to escalate to my ceo or to whoever issues that that would have not otherwise been resolved so it's important. That is powerful. I, I love that. I just wrote down that number one goal to create a high performing team. And that starts with good communication. And I, and I think that's so spot on. I've seen that time and again, when I encounter organizations that are struggling in any way, as overly simplistic as it might seem, it always goes back to a breakdown in communication. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you've had a chance to kind of reflect on some of the leaders who have had a, a positive impact on you. 
And that could be positive in the sense that showing you something to do and then positive in the sense that you take away a lesson of what not to do. So just I love any thoughts you just you've had that have come around that topic. Yeah. So, you know, I was actually sitting there stewing on, you know, what were the my, my top leaders and what were the leaders that, you know, that, that uh, I didn't love so much. And, and the conclusion I came to was both were great. Like both kind of taught me uh, a lot. You know, you can learn from both. And, and one of the things I thought that this may or may not be true. It's, it's kind of my opinion. I, I, I really don't know if I believe that there's like a really bad leader, meaning I don't I mean, there are leaders that that don't get the job done to the expectation or they, they are probably not the nicest, but I don't think that's the core desire of that person. I think most people, um, if they're considered a bad leader or a, a low impact leader, um, I, I really believe it's because they're uninformed. They're in the wrong role. You know, they have a, a sense of misdirection. Um, you know, they, they really truly aren't, kind of, they're kind of misled and, and they're probably not in the right position. So, so I've learned a lot from those type of leaders where, you know, I've, I've had a leader, I, I think in one specifically, when I started at Goldman, for example, I'll give you a quick story. Um, I, I was an analyst and this, this gentleman, you know, wasn't too far, uh, you know, he's a year maybe ahead of me in, in being hired there, but, you know, he was promoted fairly quickly. Um, and I was newer and I think he was really just trying to make a name for himself. And the culture at Goldman, uh, you know, right or wrong is, is you know, you've got to try to stand above because there's a lot of high performers there. And so, you know, it's it's constant, you know, you know, showing what you can do. And 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 I think he took the position on on I'm going to prove myself by maybe standing on people, you know. And so, um, you know, if an issue came up, I, I can think I, I still see it in my head, him pulling me aside one day on on a specific situation and. And sitting me down and just nailing me to the wall and telling me how poor it was and blah, blah, blah. And I just thought how bad I felt. I felt horrible. And I felt like I was going to lose my job and, and all these things. And and, the, and I look back on that, you know, being a leader today. And the issue that occurred wasn't even a big deal. I mean, there was really no impact. It was his, it was his um, opportunity to show that he's the leader of the team. And he was going to show me, you know, tell me. Instead of taking that opportunity to actually coach and say, hey, listen, I know you're newer. Here's what you could have done differently. Here's how I expect it to be done. You know, kind of showing me the way and kind of taking by the hand instead of stand on my hand. Um, so, so that was kind of a, an interesting one. But, but more importantly for me, um, I've learned more from kind of high impact leaders. Um, when I was at Key Bank, you know, I was probably there a good five, six, seven years. I can't remember. This gentleman came in and um, he he came in to run all the whole division as the executive. Wow. I still look up to him to this day. Um, you know, his vision, his ability to execute, his um, ability to communicate. The, the, the most important thing to me as a leader is how you make people feel, you know, how you, how you make people feel if they feel valued. Um, do, they, do they walk away from your conversation or walk away from a relationship feeling good? He, he could do all those things. Um, and, and I look at him today as probably one of the most impactful leaders I've ever seen. And I could, you know, tell you story after story. You know, as an executive, he he would come and meet with me personally and sit down with me and take time and listen to me. And and, and then, you know, more importantly, if I had a recommendation, he would actually go execute on it. Or if it wasn't the right direction, he'd let me know why. Um, those are the things that I really valued. And as I think about me as a person and kind of the top things that I, I find are important. I, I think many people probably feel the same way. And, and what, I, what I've come to the conclusion of over the last couple of years 
is money's important, but it's not the most important. What's most important to me is feeling valued and feeling respect and feeling like I have the opportunity to progress. And so if those things are happening, you know, money is secondary and, and the paycheck will follow. It always does. It always has. But more important to me is feeling the value. And so I take that position, you know, having had great leaders, having had you know, low impact leaders in my life and saying, did they make me feel good? Did they make me feel valued? And and I take that as a real strong kind of guide for me as I lead teams. I love that. That's really powerful. I, I, I really think there's, I just, uh, I think there's so much value in your perspective of uh, your statement about they're not really being any truly bad leaders, but rather leaders who are uninformed in the wrong role or kind of you talked about just kind of that sense of uh, lack of direction or lack of vision, whatever that might be. Um, how do you prevent yourself from being perceived that way? And I want to emphasize perception, right? Because really it's about perception. It's not necessarily intent because we know your intent's in the right place. And the large 99 point something percent, I'm sure, of leaders, I think, just like you, have that good intent. But they may be perceived as tyrants or as ego and egotistic, you know, whatever it is, how do you keep yourself from that? That's a really great question because sometimes I think that's the problem is people, if you really kind of said, Hey, you're this way, they'd be like shocked. Right. I am. That doesn't, you know, so, so, you know, I wrote down a couple things and I kind of live by this. I, I think it's really important. Number one, I'll, let me just kind of name them real quickly. First thing is communication. I think, you know, that's kind of the cliche communicate, you know, over communicate. Don't just communicate over communicate. It's true. I mean, if you're communicating with your teams on a consistent basis, your direct reports, you know, even, you know, reaching out to the, the boots on the ground, you know, I, I have a team of, you know, about 70 people, you know, of which, you know, nine or 10 report to me. And I spend a lot of time with those people. But the other 60, the other 55, you know, what am I doing with them? Am I calling them? Am I, am I valuing them? Because ultimately they view me as the leader of the, the division. You know, how do they view me? So I think it's really taking a check and balance approach with communication and, and just making sure you're tied in. You're not going to always impress everybody. You're not going to always win everybody over, but you can sure communicate well and they can't argue with that. So it's, it's, and communication is, is really, um, in my mind, not just about communicating, but it's about transparency and feeling like you're being honest. So, so a big cultural uh, piece I, I focus on in my teams is transparency. So there's no hidden gems, right? There's certain things people can't know because it's just not part of their job description. But there's a lot that people, um, you know, some leaders intentionally hide because then they know more than you. And I think that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. So for me, it's about transparency, you know. I, I share the process around how we set goals. I, do, I don't just show up with a goal and say, here, here's your goal. I say, here's your goal, but let me explain, you know, how we got there. So they're part of the, the buy-in, right? So I'd say communication, transparency, role clarity too. Some people um, view their leaders as poor leaders if they don't believe in their role and how they, what their role expectations are. So, you know, that, that's communication as well, I guess, but really defining role clarity. If people understand what they're doing, it becomes much easier to believe in your leader. Um, the other part is emotional intelligence. If you have emotional intelligence, um, that, that could be defined in so many different ways. But for me, it's really, um, you know, a check and balance. You don't make decisions based on emotions. If you're, if you're having a bad day, if you're, if you're, you know, hot, if something, you know, isn't clicking right, that's probably the worst time to make a decision. So, it, you know, and that's when people probably view the tyrant leader, right? So if you make a bad decision in a, in a hot situation, you know, it's going to come off as, as the hot, mean leader. And, and so just kind of step back and, 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 and 
Um, the other thing too is, and I wrote this down was being a great coach and being a great mentor, you know, coaching and mentoring are, are one and the same, but there there's differences, you know? So, um, you know, being able to, to do that is important. Um, and this is the biggest one for me that I try to do as often as I can. And I'm not the best at it is, is I call it hitting the reset button or the reflect button. So oftentimes, um, I make decisions or I start going down a path and I have to sometimes step back, get out of myself hit the reset button and start reflecting on what's going on around me, ask questions, have the opportunity to pivot, right? So if, if I need to change directions, that's when I can do that as if I'm in that moment of reset or reflect. So having the, the, the ability to do that, I think is, is a great trait of a leader, a great characteristic of a leader. So, um, and, and all those things ultimately end up building teams and building a family culture, which is the ultimate goal, I think, of any leader. It's a great list, but I think, uh, any leader who's listening can take just one of those and put it to work immediately and, and really become better because of it. So that's that's really powerful. You may be aware already, we, we really like to kind of end with one specific action item. And again, you just gave several. So maybe one of those stands out above the rest. But like if those listening to our conversation, what's one thing they can take and kind of grab hold of and, and implement this afternoon or whatever time of day it is for them? So I would say, um, you know, outside of the things I already said, I think the biggest thing for me that if you were to say, what can you do to really impress your people or be part of the team is, is really, it's kind of cliche again, it's lead by example. Are you willing to get in the trenches with your team? Um, are you willing to put that, you know, uh, work shirt on, go down and work in the trenches? You know, are you, are you willing to do the things that your team's doing? Because if they don't believe you're willing to do it, they're going to have a hard time doing it as well. So, you know, that's kind of the, the the overarching kind of theme with all those kind of lists I just gave you, communication, emotional intelligence. It all doesn't mean anything. It means nothing unless you're, they believe in you as a leader that you're willing to go to bat for them and willing to work with them in the trenches. And so I'd say that's real important. And, and how you communicate that and how you, you know, the only way to communicate that is actually doing it. Lead by example, get in the trenches. Fantastic. Uh, that's great. Couldn't agree more. Well, Troy, thank you very much for being my guest today. Uh, I've learned a great deal from you and I'm so thankful that you'd come and share your wisdom with us. Thank you so much, Spence. Spencer. I appreciate your time too. Thank you. Troy Scott is a wise man. Boy, I'm very grateful for what he shared with us. You know, one of the things that has really stuck with me as I've been thinking about all that he shared since our interview earlier today is that principle of basically giving leaders that we don't especially enjoy and we may even perceive as, I don't know, um, at least ineffective is a fairly a mild term, maybe even tyrannical or terrible, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Again, not to the point of being naive in that every single leader on the planet has our best interest at heart. Certainly that's not true. But I do think the percentage of those leaders that are truly out for only themselves is very small. And I love that Troy kind of naturally brought that principle to the surface for us. Uh, and that's good good for me to think about that because I've had leaders that in the past have uh, definitely rubbed me the wrong way. Just a couple though, as I think through the many leaders that I've interacted with, even before I got into the, the line of work that I'm in now. For example, one of those was a first sergeant that was in the army. Man, he was so brutal. 
uh, in his approach, just his style of communication and how quickly he would jump to conclusions and his tendency to be extreme in disciplinary action, even if someone stepped out of line in the smallest way. And I wonder now, looking back, I certainly am not going to claim that I thought of this then, but I wonder what he had going on in his life. External conflict or external tension comes begins with internal conflict or internal tension. So that first sergeant those years ago may have had some major trials going on in his life. Maybe he had a sick family member, a terminally ill spouse or an ailing parent. I don't know. You know, I just, I think that it's good for us to pause and just think about what might be driving this leader's behavior. And sometimes it's, as Troy pointed out, they may not even know they're perceived that way. Sometimes they do have some idea that they're perceived that way, but we just don't know. So I think it's just good to pause in the middle of those tense moments with the leader that that we're having a, a tough time with and consider uh, what uh, what might be going on. In Matthew 7 in the New Testament, there's a scripture there that talks about basically by their fruits you shall know them. And I like that idea of trusting the fruits of the leader. Is this leader producing meaningful results that help the organization become better, that help the individuals within it become better? Even if those leaders or that leader doesn't have the best bedside manner, if they're not especially good with people, whatever it is, are they producing meaningful results and helping everyone become better. I uh, I just saw in the news this week, uh, it was announced that Jeff Bezos is stepping down as CEO of Amazon and moving over to the executive chairman role. Um, I just thought of him because I'm sure that with the size of an organization that Amazon is, that there are certainly some employees at Amazon that may perceive him negatively. Maybe they had one encounter with him or heard a rumor or whatever but he has produced incredible results that at least from a selfish standpoint as a consumer I love the ease of tapping a couple places on the screen my phone screen and having packages magically show up on my doorstep often the very next day of course that's kind of a trivial example but that illustrates the point that he has been able to to lead a, a global team to produce very meaningful results. Anyway, I just think it's good to look at the fruits of the leader instead of just the current actions, um, especially if we may be misperceiving or we may be misperceived as a leader. So once again, thanks so much to Troy Scott for sharing his wisdom. So grateful for him, grateful for the work he's doing within his own family community, Zions Bank, uh, grateful for the lessons learned. We'll leave it there for this episode. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Podcast. To access free videos, leadership tools, case studies, tutorials, and more about how to engage your leaders at the next level, visit lumenleader.com. We'll see you next time.